I want to invite Veronica Lamb, uh, her nickname is Vern, to come up. And she is the leader of our justice ministry. And so for many of us, we kind of hear a little bit about it. But I want to spend a few minutes this morning for her to share with us what really is going on in the justice ministry. And it's super exciting stuff. A lot of adult stuff, actually, too. So, so I have a few questions for Vern to answer. And so hopefully it kind of, it's a little bit of a taste. And so I feel like the Lord wants us to have an opportunity for her to share in a sermon, really, what goes on with justice. And why do we need to care about that as well? So, all right. Thanks, Vern, for joining me this morning. So, Thank you. All right. So, Vern, so tell us, what is the justice ministry at Blue Water? Well, justice ministry is primarily focused on helping survivors of human trafficking. And in that, our niche is really sex trafficking victims. So we work with a lot of adults, which um, there isn't a lot of support elsewhere in the community for adults. And then we also occasionally help out with the children. Good. So, mm -hmm. and that goes on, that's like locally on the island of Locally, Oahu. yeah. So victims that have been trafficked in Hawaii. Wow. In our own neighborhoods. Yeah, in our own neighborhoods. Wow. And then people usually ask like, oh, are they all from other countries? No, most of them are from Hawaii. Wow. Some of them are from the mainland and they get brought here. And then occasionally we have some international victims that wow. we help. Wow, that's amazing. That's, that's really gut-wrenching and painful to hear that. Can you share why is it difficult for these girls to get out of their situation? Why can't they just run away from it mm. or just change their minds? What is it makes it so hard? Yeah, that's a good point. So we do mostly talk about girls, but I will say that there's boys that get trafficked here locally also, um, just to put that into your awareness. But what makes it so hard is a combination of things. So usually both are at play is that there's a relationship by whoever the trafficker is. So whether they're pretending to be like the mama, the daddy, mm. um, the boyfriend, the girlfriend, whatever it is, like they create this love relationship first and just sort of like love bomb them and then manipulate them and brainwash them into doing other things. Wow. So there's this whole emotional mess. And then there's, of course, the violence and the threats. And so there's some traffickers that lean more heavily on the threat side of things, and they get violent, say, within the first day, and they really use fear to control them. Um, but most do the love bomb thing, and then they just intersperse in the fear things. Um, to keep them controlled or to threaten, like, if it's a local person, then they would say, oh, I know where your family lives or where your little sister or where your grandmother lives, right? Um, because of the relationship phase, they've been able to gather that information. So then the person feels like they can't leave, otherwise other people will get hurt. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. Can you share a little bit on just the social, the, the the, the socioeconomic status of these boys and girls, are they from poor, na poor neighborhoods, poor situations, or, or are they kind of across the gap? It's mm, a good question. I mean, really, it's across the gap. So we've had, you know, one thing that um, partner of mine, Shantae, and I, we do a lot of school trainings, and so a lot of people would ask, like, oh, so what schools have there been trafficking in? And what we typically say is, like, well, we can't, name a school on the island that hasn't had a wow. trafficking case associated to it, whether it be public or whether it be private. Um, and I think people don't realize that. I think that it is easier to pull some more strings um, if a person is more desperate for love, for money, for food, for a place to stay. So the more things that are stacked against a kid or a young person, the more vulnerable they are. But just because somebody lives in a nice neighborhood or goes to a nice school doesn't mean that there aren't trafficking um, victims and recruiters like looking in those areas also. Wow. Looks like they really look for the vulnerable, if anything, then, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. They try to figure out a way to okay. take advantage of somebody. Got it. Can you share what has Blue Water Justice Ministry, what, what, did they, what do you guys do practically to help and minister and remove them from that situation yeah. and rescue them? So uh, historically, we've always done a lot of housing, so being available to take in survivors. And we did that very much in a community-based kind of a way, which was important to me because I felt like that God spoke about how he didn't want us to create an orphanage, like a place to go put them, but a way to invite them into our own homes and into our community so that they can really experience healing in the relationship of community. 
Um, so that's what we've historically always done. We also had a very low-key like outreach team that we ran on the streets, and we invited uh, people from all different churches um, to join us in doing that. And in that way, we were able to show up and just build relationship. And then when a um, survivor wanted to ask for help or wanted to step out and do something else, then at least we had that relationship with them. Because it's very hard for victims to have relationships with anybody outside of the game. That's what they call it. Because there's a bunch of rules, right? So like when we talk about violence, um, they could get in big trouble for trying to develop relationships with people outside of the game. Wow, okay. <laughs> Can you, I know that a lot of times it's hard for you to really share stories because it helps to protect those who are in that situation, right? So, but can you share some level of successes and even some failures throughout the years that you've been doing this? Oh yeah, well we've seen um, well lots of both, but um, there's been some cool successes, you know, where we see um, individuals like go on to really transition into a healthy life where they're able to have boundaries. Um, in their uh, boyfriend girlfriend like relationships and not just be taken advantage of we've been able to see some of them really create boundaries also with maybe family members or friends that have addictions and really keep themselves out of addiction of course hard times we've seen many you know go back and forth um, between addiction or between unhealthy relationships but it's been really cool to see so many of them like graduate with um, certifications or with college degrees or you know like really jump into careers um, start families of their own um, really create a, a safe environment for their children that maybe they didn't have when they were a child um, so yeah there's amazing and at this point it's cool because we're starting to see survivors be able to get involved in the overall movement where they've been out for maybe like 10 years and wow. now they can start getting involved as leaders or as mentors themselves wow. So that's one of the things that I really love. Um, I do want to share one hard thing, if yeah. I can. Well, I mean, it's one of the challenges is like working on justice and getting people to really like take up the cases and care for the victims can be a struggle. And I think, I don't know, I think it's important for the community um, to know that there's just multiple levels of where that struggle hits. And so one of the things that I don't know if you guys saw in the news recently, but one of our HPD officers, former officer, quit not too long ago, was actually arrested in New Mexico for trafficking children wow. and um, had been uh, manipulating and coercing adults and children here in Hawaii. And um, what's frustrating is that people knew that was going on for six years and why it takes so long for an investigation to happen and why it has to happen on the mainland and why we can't do that here, I don't know. Um, but I would appreciate prayer for the survivors because even for the children, if you can think of six years ago, right? Like now they're getting yanked back into a case and having to speak about it and bring up all wow. those memories and things like that. So I uh, bring it up because I think it's something that we need to pray about. And I think that prayer can shift things. Yeah. And we definitely need things shifted on multiple levels in uh, the realm of justice yeah. here. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. How can we help? Mm. What can we do? Well, I think prayer is the big thing, you know, like I, I do think that makes an incredible difference. And even when we did outreach, our goal was to carry the presence of the Holy Spirit and create the spiritual environment where somebody could have hope. Right. So prayer makes a big, big difference. So I would definitely ask everybody for that. And then housing. I know it sounds really scary to a lot of people, but it's just, you know, deciding to help one person. Mm and walk alongside of them and to share a meal at your table or to share a little bit of extra clothes or something like that. You know, in some ways it's just really, really basic in how we help individuals. So housing, and I would also say, besides being able to take in survivors and provide community alongside of them, um, landlords that are willing to 
rent to survivors who are on their feet but don't have a long established mm -hmm. credit history, that would be really helpful because we've been doing this for so long. We do have survivors that are on their feet but they don't necessarily have all of the back history, right? And finding the cheapest place isn't always the safest area, you know, and that can be very triggering. So it'd be nice if they could be in a place where they don't have to worry about like a landlord like propositioning them for sex or something. Mm, wow, mm -hmm. wow. And one thing I also want to add is that you can also, all of us can actually support it financially. Um, our bluewatermission.org website has a, a place where you can designate funds directly to the justice ministry where every penny goes into this ministry. Thank you so much, Vern. Don't you guys want to know you. more? Like this is like a <laughs> lot of rich stuff. So thank you, Vern. God bless you. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Good morning. So great to see a lot of new folks, um, people willing to forego barbecue to be here bright and early or stick around. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so amazing the work that Vern and has done through this church and just the, what God has given us to speak into just darkness. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today is a little bit, you know, we are um, surrounded by chaos, and sometimes God gives us a way through chaos, and it's not always easy. Uh, in fact, sometimes, um, well, so Jordan is not here today. He's in the Dominican Republic, and he's working on a boat project over there. And my husband likes to talk about chaos as in delay and distraction. But um, I think that this next image will make you really feel it. I bumped into chaos last week. Actually, it, it bumped into me in the form of a garbage truck. And yes, I was running after the truck. Yes, I was waving my arms and saying, hey, you never emptied my garbage can. Yes, I ran halfway down the block, yes. Yes, I waved my arms. Yes, I had exchanged words. <laughs> um, it was actually very Seinfeld-esque. If only we had been speaking with a, a New York Jewish accent. But, you know, my, my sisters and I were talking about it later. In my mind, you know, this is kind of how it was. Hey, you get choke rubbish. Ladies, why not throw them the other day, lady? Hey, the truck arms no can pick up the lead at. Try make them straight next time, lady. Hey. How come you know can turn your truck around and do your job? Hey, why you run over my iPhone 12 mini bra? Shoots, I never see them. Yeah, right. Well, in any accent, the proverbial wrench has been thrown in. And my carefully planned day needed four extra hours to deal with that chaos. The geography, I had to go from Kaneohe all the way to Hawaii Kai. The finances, like I hadn't even finished paying off my, my old iPhone. Um, the time it took it was, was not what I planned. And I think sometimes chaos is like that. It's an intrusion. It's an intrusion out of left field, right? It's, um, so the, the term monkey wrench in the works, it comes from like this British, uh, British thing. We were Brit here, right? you monkey wrenches you, in the system. And it, it has to do with throwing something heavy and metal into the middle of a machinery process that should otherwise be smooth. So here's my question. Anybody else got wrenches? What? Anybody got wrenches thrown into your life last week, this year? Shout out some wrenches that you have been working with. Oh, your lives are going smoothly. Amen. Sickness. Correct. Pandemic. Relationship. Like a great relationship? No. Like a, like a sucky relationship? Yeah. Permitting office. Oh, my gosh. Who said that? Oh, Lord. Yes. Government. I heard somebody else say something. 
insecure, like internal, like an eternal wrench. You're like, you're doing real well. You're going to walk up to that girl and you're going to say, hey, whoa. And suddenly out of left field, the insecurity wrench is jamming up your system. That not you, John, but somebody else, right? Now, other times I feel like chaos is not an intrusion, but it's more like a vortex of pressure. I live in that place. So here's an example from last week. Jeremiah, who was an excellent driver, is working on his driver's license. And he is going to be, he's going to be passing his driver's test in July. He's such a good driver that his, um, his driving instructor sometimes falls asleep. Not me. Like in a paid driving instructor, like, I'm not telling you his name, but he'll like, oh, Mr. So he's such a good driver. That, so I'm not really worried about him. But he's at the stage where, you know, in Hawaii, the thing about driving is it's not just moving the car. It's knowing where you're going. It's, it's mapping, right? So we're driving. He's got, he has a Muay Thai kickboxing class in Pearl City. We're driving from Kaneohe to uh, Pearl City to do his class. And um, it's that weird thing where you go over H3, and then you got to, like, get to H1, and then you got to get off at exit 10, which is Waimalu. But you got to be in your... You need to be in the middle lane so you can turn right, so then you can take immediate left, right? And it's really hard to know that if you don't know where you're going. So um, I'm trying to, to give him directions in a peaceful voice. <laughs> and, and at that time, my mom calls me. Now, my mom is 98. Hi, Grant. So good to see you. My mom is 98, and she's really smart. And she has a smart TV. And... She needs to know how to get her smart TV into the streaming mode. And so I'm, talk, I'm telling Jeremiah, get in your middle lane. And I'm telling my mom, okay, you see the cursor? The down button, press the down button, down button. Now, now the right button. Okay, make your left turn. Okay, now you're going to move it to the right. And don't say remove. Go down, down, right, right, right. Okay, now no, stop here. You need to look, look left, look left. You're going to merge with that lane. Okay, and then you move, 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 move. And then when you see it, hit it. Now, by the time we got to the gym, we were on, I think we were on time. Weren't we on time? Oh, we're three minutes late. It's a small first world problem. And my mom was watching Antique Roadshow. But that, that's, that's my life. And I think it's probably your life, too, in different ways, because like, we all have different demands on us, and we're like, you know, constantly doing two things at least at once. Um, so sometimes this is really funny, like that, like my story, and sometimes it's so tragic. Sometimes it's so surreal, you cannot believe what is happening to you. Um, uh, and in the last couple years, I have definitely learned that if I don't grab hold hard of God's peace, the chaos will take me away. Anybody else have that experience? And look around you. I mean, I, I love our community, but there are some people who are missing because chaos took them away in some capacity. And I feel like the word I want to share to you t- with you today is a word of encouragement of how to grab hold of God's security through the chaos because that's actually um, our legacy and our inheritance. Now, Jesus said really clearly, in the world, you're going to have trouble. Maybe you didn't hear that. We'll have to skip over that. But we're like, where's God? Why is this so hard? What's happening? We're in a pandemic. People are losing their jobs. Like, did you hear me? In the world, you will have trouble. He told us that like way in advance, so we shouldn't be scared. But he says, but take courage. I've overcome the world. And my peace I give to you, not like the world gives. So if we're looking around for a peace solution, the Costco phone solution for my broken phone, we're looking for a a self-help solution that's on the bookshelf um, that's not God-based. We're not grabbing hold of what Jesus has already provided for us. So today I want to just talk a little bit about that. Um, And... You know, we don't do it on purpose. Like, our emotions are so tied in with our physicality, you know? We, we don't, we're not, like, choosing to be 
brought it into chaos. It's just that it takes real intention. It takes a little bit of strategy. It takes a little bit of follow-through. Um, Jesus, God, in chaos, is always on the offense. God is always on the offense. We tend to be on the defense, but the Lord is inviting us to be on the offense in the time that we're walking in. Um, so I'm going to tell you a couple little stories about more about this. Uh, personal stories from my family's life, the last couple of years. About almost two years ago, September, I woke up one morning and I heard really, not like a verbal word, but like in my spirit, like I didn't hear it in my ears, but I felt really strongly. I heard God say in my spirit, yes, he said, okay, that's Charlie, he said, um, get moving on selling the house. Now we have been kind of bouncing, think of, you know, uh, tossing this idea around for the last few years, but that morning, it was like a pressure on me, like saying, get moving. And there was that, and there was a couple other instructions too. But it was one of those things where it was very clear, if I don't act on this right now, there's some sort of level of disobedience going on in my life. Um, we had not at, at that moment any need to, to do it. There wasn't a financial need. There wasn't really a clear idea of, of why it happened now. But it was like, yes, sir, I got up and I started making phone calls. I called a realtor. I started to um, put these things together. Jordan agreed that it seemed for some reason like the right thing to do. Um, at that time, we were living in Manoa, lovely house. We raised our kids in for 15 years of house that would, we had purchased that had been falling down off the hill when we bought it. And, and uh, it was available. Surprise, surprise, there was a hole. You could see from the living room down to the garage. Some of you remember that hole. I think John remembers that hole. Um, and we, um, we raised our kids there. We also brought uh, Jordan's grandmother, um, Norma, from California, who lived with, with us in that house. Um, and we had been there, I think, uh, I think she moved in maybe 2008 or so. So it was about tw uh, 12 years. Um, we did not know... Um, what the future was uh, going to hold for us. But at the time, if you remember, there was a lot going on. September 2020, school was online. Our nation was in trauma, um, more intense than perhaps it is right now. Um, we were watching the church, our church family, kind of going through lots of trauma as well. We couldn't meet sometimes. We could meet sometimes. Our, our staff team, at that time, Antonio was with us. We were um, working really hard at making creative online offerings. I mean, we were kind of um, already pushed to um, the edge. And then Norma took a fall. Uh, it was November, I think. Um, she had had a fantastic dinner with some people at, in their garage because she couldn't go out. And she went inside and was, you know, she has this little dog, Rascal, with like 18 bowls of food all around the ground because she just loves to feed Rascal. And so she was doing something to fix one of the bowls of food, and she fell. We thought, oh, your little bump, you know, her nose started to bleed. You know, we patched it up, put her, patch, ooh, uh, put her to bed. And then she rang her bell and said, it's, I'm still bleeding. That led to uh, a trip to the ER. I remember sitting in the back of the car with her, Jordan speeding to the hospital. I'm trying to be as cheerful as I can. And her, her nose is just like a fountain. It's just like tissue, tissue, tissue. Okay, here we go. We're, we're going. We're going to be okay. You know, and she never quite recovered from that. Uh, that was November. She came home, and uh, we moved her upstairs from her little Hana unit downstairs into the room across the hall from us, and thus began about six months of 24-7 care. And our lives were just, um, when you thought you couldn't do any more, we were doing more. Um, and we were still planning on selling the house. So we were painting, we were fixing, we were moving furniture, we were purging. And it's like, that was surreal, very surreal. But it got even more surreal. So our awesome realtor, Kristen Hafner, 
Um, Kristen uh, is married to Neil. They're part of our church. Um, Kristen said, we're at the beginning of April, and Norma is now in hospice, she, home hospice. And Kristen says, are you sure you want to do this? Should we do this open house? And Jordan and I look at each other. We are just scratching our heads. It's very painful. Like, I don't Honey, it's up to you, I said. And he says, we set the course. You know, we had that sense that we we're supposed to do this. Let's just keep on. Let's do it. Uh, open house was on, I think it was the 24th of April, Saturday. It was the most surreal moment probably of my life. We're wheeling Norma out in a wheelchair. She's pretty much um, non-responsive. Uh, we're, she's kind of groaning. We're wheeling her out the back door, and Kristen and Neil are coming in the front door with their signs and meeting our clients. Uh, if not for the sense that God was somehow still with us in the middle of that, I don't know. It was a really weird weekend. Two days of open house. Monday, after the open house, I go out of the house for about half an hour. I changed Norma in the morning. I was changing her underpants, and we would play old hymns, and she would kind of, mm, mm, she would kind of respond and just grunts, you know. And uh, I changed her. I went out of the house in the afternoon, and the half an hour that I was out, um, Jordan was with her, and she passed. Uh, and he was holding her hand. Uh, we, it's not like we didn't know it was coming at that point. It was just so much. That was Monday. Tuesday, we got seven offers for our house. Wednesday, we were in contract to sell our house without knowing where we were going. We didn't have another house lined up. Um, it was a very vortexy sort of chaos experience. Um, in July, so that was April, in July, we were closed on a new house in Kaneohe. And the same month, our daughter moved to Colorado. She decided to adult on us and just, <laughs> yeah, we, she, we thought she was going to go to college. She said, nope, I'm not going to college. I'm going to take a gap year and be an adult, and I'm going to run in the mountains. And whew, our world had just had this massive shift. And changing houses is like the most powerful metaphor that I could come up with. And in retrospect, looking back, it's like God was doing something to put us in a position of being on the offense rather than the defense when the changes hit. We had no idea. We could not have foreseen that. The time of raising our children, of caring for an elderly parent was passing. And it was going to be scary and hurtful any way you put it. But God was saying, I have a place for you. I am looking forward for you. I know you, I can't tell you the whole story, but I have your future in mind. The only way you're going to get there is if you fix your eyes on me. There's an awesome scripture in Romans. It says, those who are uh, led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. How do you know you belong to God? Because you follow the lead of his Spirit. And that's, that is the prime way that we have security in chaos. Um, so today, we are in a new season Mentally, spiritually, physically. Um, and we're not, I mean, we're not like, it's not like grief is over, not we don't experience pain, but we're on track. Okay. Um, kind of intense. Sorry about that, not really. Because um, life is intense. And if we don't get intense with God, we will be taken out. So we're not coming to church because this is a social club. We're coming to church because this is the way of life. And out there, it is not channel surfing. It is not entertainment. Out there, it is life and death. So in here, we better grab hold of life. And so that's good news. Good news. Um, 
Second story. Um, God has secret tools. God has mysterious tools when we are facing monkey wrenches, when we are in chaos. Okay. Less than four months after Norma passed away, that was April, Jordan's biological mother passed away. And it was a surprise. I got a call on my phone um, from her area code, and I thought, oh, it's Mary. I'll call her back. It wasn't Mary. It was her landlord's. Um, and we had been out of touch uh, from Mary uh, for a few months. Uh, so it was incredibly shocking. I had spoken with her right after Norma had passed, and she had said to me at that time that she wasn't feeling well. And I had said, oh, well, you know, JoJo's probably going to go to college at the time, I thought. And so maybe she'll stop by and see you on the way out. And that was kind of where we left it because then we sold our house, we moved into the Thornbrews house for, with our three dogs and two cats and Jeremiah and Jer Jordan and I in a one-bedroom studio. And so it was, things were so calm. It was unbelievable. <laughs> so we hadn't really gotten back to making phone calls and things like that. Now the amazing thing, one amazing thing, is in that time, Jeremiah felt a need to write Grand Mary a thank you card for something that uh, she had sent him several months before. So I remember he mailed that off during the summer, even though we had not talked with her. Well, turns out that so Mary was a, an amazing woman. She was very close to their kids. She had, even though we were distant, uh, we didn't see her very much. And um, she had Jeremiah's thank you note on top of her mail pile. If not for that, her landlords would have not known to contact us. Because they saw Hawaii, they went through her phone book and said, oh, here's a name, and they called me. Now, um, this is an abbreviated version of this, but as you can imagine, um, it was a really difficult time. Anybody who knows Jordan's origin stories about his early family life and non-family life will know that this is a super complex relationship for him, his bio biological mom. So it took just an incredible effort and just not effort, just letting go, just facing grief, just letting it let the wave hit in some ways. It took him probably about a month to kind of say, okay, I, I'm going to need to deal with, with my mom's affairs. His landlords were calling because they wanted their rent. They wanted to know who's going to clean out the house because she had lived there for like 20 years. Um, and we just, you know, just incredible regret that we we're feeling that we had not been in touch with her. So finally, the last week of September, um, Jordan asked me to make some plane arrangements for him. And I was very much against him going alone. In fact, I didn't want him to go at all. I'm like, this is going to be so hard for you. Let me just go. In fact, I think I talked to Kwok, Kwok and Lila. Maybe we can go and, and, and clean this up. Maybe message Karen and I can go. And he's like, you know, because he's a good man. He says... No, this is my job. I, this is something I need to do. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll see about making those plane arrangements. Um, the night, that night, or the night before, either the night before or that night, I had this really weird dream. And dreams are one way that God has found is one of his special tools for me. When we can't handle what's happening, God will find a way to get to us. And for me, sometimes that's dreams. And I had this dream, and I didn't want to listen to it because it was so nonsensical, and, I, and there was so much going on emotionally for me. I just like, oh, that's like a pizza dream. I just don't want to listen to it. I just, whew, I just put it on the side. And it, we were just moving very fast at that time. For some reason, I decided to sit down and have dinner with Jordan. I mean, we actually sat down, and we're eating chewing food together. It's a good thing. I recommend it, especially when you're in chaos. And sometimes you don't do it when you're in chaos. And a lot can hinge on it. So we sat down and just forcing ourselves to breathe. And um, I decided for some reason to say, oh, you know what? I had this weird dream. Oh, no. Here's what it was. And I I tried to remember it, and I pieced it together, and I said it to him. And, and here's what it was. It's a really weird little dream. Um, in the dream, 
I um, said to Jordan, um, let's see, I, I was thinking of taking Jeremiah on a trip in my dream. And um, Jordan says to me in the dream, this weird thing, he says, you should take him to a lake area in British Columbia that is some way Italian. And it has something to do with Texas. So you can see why I don't want to talk about this dream. I'm like, that is pizza, clearly pizza. Um, okay, you should take him to a lake area in British Columbia. It's somehow Italian and has something to do with Texas. <sighs> Again, craziness. Um, and then this woman appears in my dream, and she says, um, the tr a trip to this place would be really cheap because it's a funeral cruise. It would be a cheap trip because it's a funeral cruise. Okay, so we're sitting there eating, and we both whip out our phones. God uses Google. God uses... We Google, okay, what, what, is, just for the heck of it, lakes in British Columbia, top 10 lakes in British Columbia. We both get the hit. The first one, Lake Garibaldi, Lake Garibaldi for you Americans, Garibaldi. Okay, Garibaldi, what does that mean? Does that have anything to do with Texas? I Google, Garibaldi, Texas. Well, there's no lake called Garibaldi in Texas, but there is something Garibaldi near Houston, and it's some sort of venue, some sort of showground. Okay, fine, whatever, the end. Good night, that was a good dinner, good night. I will make your plane arrangements tomorrow. Tomorrow, I go online, and God uses Expedia. <laughs> I go online, and I'm... Uh, Jordan's mom lived in Rockaway Beach, which is a coastal beach town uh, about an hour and a half, two hours from Portland. And I need to find a place for Jordan to stay because he can't stay in Portland and go back and forth. He's got to rent a car. He's got to get to Rockaway Beach. The closest place to Rockaway Beach where you can get a hotel is at a place called Garibaldi. I kid you not. Garibaldi, Oregon. It is 20 minutes from Rockaway Beach. It is the only hotel room that is available for him. It's like, it was, it was within the range. It was like, like $90, something like that. Jordan says, I guess Jeremiah can come with me. <laughs> that is a strange tool. It is better than a monkey wrench, right? They uh, fly out, and it turns out that the day that Jordan wants to fly, April, August 3rd, is Jeremiah's fall break. He has two weeks of fall break. The two of these boys take off. Jeremiah is 16. He now has muscles. He's tall enough to lift heavy boxes. They go to Mary's house. They fill two dumpsters. They rent two dumpsters. They take multiple loads of furniture to uh, Goodwill. Um, they take care of a car. Uh, the, the third day, they discover when they swept the floor, ready to go, there's an attic. <sighs> they bust their butts getting that place. It, was, it would have been virtually impossible for Jordan to do that alone. Not only that, Jeremiah is with him when they take her ashes to the beach where she used to walk her dogs. They wade out into the water and they scatter Mary's ashes together, together. A seal swims by, comes up um, and swims near them. Better than a monkey wrench. The Lord has plans and he, um, I think we've got some pictures of some of, the, uh, Jeremiah brought his camera. He had, uh, you know, as only a 16-year-old boy with an amazing camera can, he had a beautiful trip, a tragic, beautiful, profound family legacy moment. Um, he took some gorgeous pictures while he was there. I am so humbled that 
God is on the offense on our behalf. He is never on the defense. Uh, he will intervene in his own way to bring um, a solution. But here's the thing. You've got to sit down for dinner. I could have totally missed that. You've got to say, that's not just pizza. Let me take a risk. Maybe it's the Lord. Um, um, there's a, a quick story. I don't have time to go through this scripture, but there is a story I want to just point out to that's very similar to this. And we've talked about this at, at church a few times. It's the story of Elijah, the prophet, the mighty man of God. He has lived a dramatic, powerful life. He's been kicking butt. He's been facing down politics. He's been slaying idolaters. I mean, I, just not like random people, but like bad people, right? Leading child, child sacrifice, stuff like that. He's been, he's been a justice warrior. Elijah has been out there. But um, in 1 Kings 19, we find Elijah, and he is done. He is in chaos. He has got a, a, a bounty on his head. He um, is surrounded or feels very much alone. And uh, the one of all the nation who's been the closest to God says, kill me now. I'm going to sit under this tree and die. So I'm saying, even the greats, if the greats, so us. And here's what happens to Elijah um, in, in, in that story. Um, God sends weird tools to him. He sends an angel with magic pancakes. Actually, they're not actually magic pancakes. The angel comes in and says, hey, you've you got a journey to make. Eat this food. It'll give you strength on the journey. It's a... Lord of the Rings fans, it's like Lembas. Uh, and so Elijah uh, goes as far as he can. The, the angel comes back and says, hey, you need more food. Here, more dinner, more magic pancakes. He continues. And what Elijah does is when he is down and out, he makes his way back to the beginning. Sometimes the way forward is going back to the beginning. How many of us here, through this pandemic, through shutdowns, through like, oh my gosh, I, am I going to graduate? Am I going to have a job? How many of us need to go back to the beginning? Back to the mountain of God. And that's what Horeb is. Horeb is the mountain of God. So Elijah gets there, and he's full of still pain. He wants to die. He feels alone, abandoned, disappointed in life. Um, He's just tired. How many of us have been tired in the last year or two? Come on. Yeah. Tired. <laughs> so Elijah gets to the mountain of God. And here's what I love about this. Um, I wonder, I don't think I have it in here, but I'm, I'm going to read this to you. This is 1 Kings 19, um, the very end of this. It says, uh, the... Uh, so he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights. Woo, long trip, long walk. Until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into the cave and spent the night. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord's about to pass by. There's a moment coming. There's a moment coming when something's going to happen and God's going to come close to you. Be ready. You've traveled all this way. You've gotten to the place you need to get back, and now something is going to happen. Be ready for it. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. Three things. Three very dramatic things happen. 
and he's not in any of them. Is it you? Is it here? Is it that? And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Now, how did that guy know that that was the moment? If I had been there and three major giant things were happening around me, wouldn't I have rushed out every one? I just think that's a lesson to us. I love this. For as we develop a habit of knowing what God smells like, tastes like, feels like, we won't be impressed anymore by the drama. Aren't you guys ready to not be impressed by the drama? By the headline? By the, the inner insecurity? You know, by the... Um, the broken relationship, aren't you ready to not be flattened? Aren't you ready to be able to come out when the Lord is near? This experience, I just want to give you a little insight. That experience, when the Lord comes near, is something that we train ourselves through daily use to be ready for. Elijah had walked his whole life with God. I mean, he'd been, I mean he was like a badass, right? with the Holy Spirit. So he knew. But we are all different stages, and we're kind of coming to know what that feels like. Um, I said to Jeremiah, we actually tried to stop at Foodland on the way here to, to, to pick up some flowers, because I wanted you guys to experience this, but we couldn't find any good flowers. So, smelly flowers. But this is more what the Lord is like. It's not a piece of information. Being with God is not like a piece of knowledge. It's more like a fragrance. Close your eyes. Pretend to not smell the person next to you. And pretend that you are at graduation the way it used to be. <laughs> and you're smelling pulmeria flowers. You're smelling tuberose. You're smelling gardenia. And that fragrance is changing the atmosphere around you. Now, I really wish that I had some actual flowers here, um, but this is closer to what it's like to be arrested by the Lord, to be prepare yourself for when he passes by. And I want to encourage you the, the next few minutes, just I'm going to give you a way to think about what it means to prepare yourself for those moments that you're going to need to know that God is close that God is about to pass by, and you're going to get what you need. Um, but first, that leads me to, of course, volleyball. <laughs> and, okay, I am really bringing this together. I promise I will. <laughs> we need to live in such a way that we set ourselves up. We set ourselves up. We set ourselves up to move forward, no matter what sort of balls are thrown at us. In volleyball, I understand, the, there is the most strategic position on the court is the setter. Because no matter what is being done in the room, the setter gets that ball back into position. It, it can back into position. <laughs> because without the set, Without it going back into position, there's no point. There's no, there's no spikes. There's no progress. And, um, and thank you, Jesus, for protecting the projector. Hallelujah. And the fans. It's okay. Cox won't replace those fans anyway. Oh, no, those are the new fans. Oh. <laughs> Yay. So I want to point out, there's a couple of scriptures I just want to refer to, and I think we have these up on the screen somewhere, which says um, Psalm 16. Psalm 16. We have Psalm 16, Jordan, in there. And this is the scripture I want you guys to, to hold on to, and I want you to practice, like, making this a declaration to yourself. I have set the Lord always before me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, 
I will not be shaken. The room might spin a little bit. Things might get rough. Things might get tragic. Things might get a little pressured, but I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh also rests secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. So that's a prophetic um, psalm, and it's pointing to this, the anchor of our hope is that actually Jesus came, this guy named Jesus came, and um, he died, but his body didn't get corrupted because he was raised to life. And because of that anchor, no matter what happens to us, our hope is secure. We're going to go through a lot of crap, a lot of tofu, but we... <laughs> Not that tofu is crap, but, <laughs> but we um, are looking forward because God is always looking forward. Um, there's another scripture I have I want us to look at, Colossians 3, 1 to 4. God's calling us to set our attention on him. I know there's a lot of things asking for your attention. There's a lot. You've got to give directions to your, your son. You've got to tell your mom how to use her technology. I know that. You need to bury a dear one. I know that. You need to find a way to work out your fantasies. I know that. But nonetheless, the Lord says, set your eyes on me. And it says this, since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above not on earthly things. Because the truth is, everything that really matters about your life, all those amazing things, everything that's valuable about you and about the things you love and the people you love, the truth is, they are hidden in God. They are secure for eternity in the Lord. This earth is passing. We're on a tour bus. Goodbye, hello, goodbye. We are heading to a place where everything we love is secure. And you better put your reservation in. You better get your eyes forward. Because if you try to hold on to all these things that are passing, um, you're going to fall into uh, the vortex. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I believe that we're coming into a very exciting time. And I really believe that God, um, what we've experienced the last couple of years is a shaking so that we make a choice of where we're going to drill down. The coming time is going to be even more exciting in a good way and maybe in some scary ways. So I, I just want to invite you um, today to put your attention on the Lord. Um, I had a, a few tips for you. Let me just say real quick, this is super simple. It's not rocket science. It's not rocket science. How can we set our minds? How can we set our hearts on God? It's so, it's, people have been doing this for like thousands of years, so I'm not going to be tricky about this. Hold up your hand. I'm going to have five points for you. Remember in your hand. First one, stop. I'll be honest with you. That's the hardest one for me. When you're in chaos... Stop. Sit down. Chew your food. Have a meal. Talk with a friend. Stop. If you've got too many things you're doing on your phone while you're driving, pull over. Stop. Okay. Second, number two, um, read the Bible. Read the Bible. I'm telling you, it's not like any other book you've ever read. Read the Bible. It has the words of life in it. It's the place. It's not like, it is not like anything else you've ever experienced. It has the words of life. They're not, book, they're not printed on a page. They are living. They change the way you are. They teach you to smell the fragrance of God. It, it, it gives you capacity. So stop. Read the Bible. Pray. Okay, that's pretty good. The middle finger's tallest one. It means we're going up. Pray to God. And, and please, 
Treat him like a person because he is a person. He's more person than any person in this room. He's like more gentle, more funny, more kind, more sensitive, more empathetic, more, more interesting. Pray, talk to God. Four, listen. Don't do all the talking. Listen. Be quiet. Because, you know, the truth is, if, if, you're, if you're not quiet, he can still talk to you in dreams. I talk a lot, apparently, and he always talks to me in dreams. So listen. And when you have a dream, listen. And the fifth thing, let me see your hands. Let me see. Fifth thing, follow. Follow. The pinky follows the rest of them. Oh, this is coming together. The pinky follows the rest of them. Follow. Do something with what you hear. Hey, I'm a mess. I'm a dizzy mess. Jordan and I, we are like some of the most like crazy people you've ever met. We don't have our act together, but we've done enough to realize that if we follow what we think God is saying, life becomes very rewarding. Okay. Um, okay, who can repeat to me what I just said? What are the five things? Raise your hand. I have prizes. Oh, get that out. Jordan, Jordan, take that off. Take it off, Jordan. Okay. If you got it, stand up and tell them it to me. What are the five things? How do, how do you set your attention? No, no, no. You, one person, stand up. You've got it. Stand up and raise your hand. Class. All right. Fantastic. For a student, for you, be jealous, everybody. Blue water mug. Blue water mug. Okay, second chance, second chance. Who's got it? Stand up, raise your hand. Second chance. Who's got it? Okay, Father. Fantastic. Okay, now this is one of my all-time favorite things. When I was a little girl, I had a, this daily bread box. Do you know? Do you remember these guys? Your daily bread. If you're a Bible, if you have problems with the Bible, this is for you. All you got to do is you take your daily bread and the voila! My help cometh from the Lord which made heaven and earth. It's King James. I'm sorry, Butler. But yeah, there you go. Yeah. All right. All right. Thank you, guys. All right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can have the box. You're moving. So you're, you have, you're moving. So, okay. All right. Well, let's stand. Let's pray together. And uh, let's just ask the Holy Spirit to come. Mm. Lord Jesus. We've got some people in here who really need to be arrested by God in a good way. Oh, you need to come out to the mouth of the cave because the Lord is about to pass by. Oh. Okay, listen, close your eyes and listen closely. There's like fire, there's been wind in your life, there have been earthquakes, and I need you to just say, I'm not going to listen to them. What's the fire? What's the earthquake? What's the wind you've been like traumatized by? We just say, no. I'm not moving until I hear the whisper of God. Are you afraid of the chaos that's coming? Don't be. You are called to be on the offense. You're a captain in this army. You're a soldier in this army. You are called to be on the offense. All right, I'm just going to pray over you guys. Lord, we thank you. Right now, I just commission in the name of Jesus, I just commission those of you who have been on the defense, you've been on the wrong part of the team. You've been playing the wrong position. God's actually called you to offense. Actually, the setter is not a defensive position. It's an off offensive position. I just, I just decommission you from the defense, and I commission you onto the offense. And I just see um, um, Alex Taylor. I just see, like, armor coming onto you. Oh, I just see, like, like uh, authority 
and armor coming onto you. And it's not defensive armor. It's for pushing forward, walking forward. And it, uh, thank you, Lord. Oh, yeah. All right, Lord, we just thank you. I pray you continue, Holy Spirit, to do your work. Um, and if you guys, um, we need to wrap up this time, but if you need some prayer, um, I want you to come and find Sally. Sally's wearing the pink shirt, and you guys can go in the, maybe the back room, the office, because we needed to start second service. So um, if you need prayer um, and you want to pray on this subject or uh, something else, um, please, Sally, wait, wait, raise your hand again. Sally and the prayer team will be in the back office there and be happy to sow more into this. But thanks for coming to you guys today. Um, go with God, come back, and then have barbecue. All right, see you later. All right, bye.